Hi, my name is Mark Jansky. I'm the coordinator of the Reformed Baptist Network, and we have here another episode of Net Talk. It's a podcast where we discuss topics that are related to RBNet's purpose, and the Reformed Baptist Network's purpose is glorifying God through fellowship and cooperation in fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth. And it's our privilege to have with us today John and Cindy Requette. They are members of the Arbor Church in Dayton, Ohio. This church is pastored by uh, Pastor Steve Woodman and uh, also Tom Danube and then Ryan Stern. In fact, I had the privilege of being a pastor of this church when it was Kemp Road Baptist Church there on the corner of Kemp and Haynes in Beaver Creek. I have the best of memories. That was from 1986 into 1989. I know you also uh, have another pastor there. Am I right? This is uh, Pastor John Requette as well. Is that true, John? Yes. Yep. Been a pastor about right. 20 years. Very good. Yep. Very good. And the focus of our attention is going to be purposeful and persistent parenting. And the subtitle of this book is Blessing Others, Blue Tape Boundaries, and Other Practical Perspectives on Raising Children. So this is a, an excellent book that I have found to be very useful. In fact, uh, a fellow pastor, Pastor Jeff Smith, who pastors another RBNet church, and that is in Coconut Creek, Florida. Pastor Smith says, this is the best book I've ever had the privilege and blessing to read on this subject. And in my mind, Jeff is a man of great gravitas, so for him to give that kind of accommodation is significant. John and Cindy, again, welcome. So good to have you with us. I know that you have eight children, which would qualify you to be commentators on this important subject. And you've been married for, well, it was 30 years when the book was published in 2021. So maybe 32-ish uh, years. Could you give just a little thumbnail sketch about your adventures as a family. I know you've been in different countries. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Yeah, sure. Uh, glad to be here. We we have, as you mentioned, eight children. They're right now aged 30 down to 15. Um, and we have uh, four grandchildren as well and another on the way. So it's kind of entering that phase of life. Uh, we've lived in a variety of places, feel like God has used different places in our, in our lives and different churches to influence us in different ways. And we felt like one of our assignments up in Canada actually was where we learned a lot about parenting from a lot of more elder, older uh, friends that were farther along than us. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but with eight children, of course, you know, most of what we learned, we learned by realizing what, what didn't work and those kinds of things. And we found as we were growing up, there were a lot of uh, people in our church that were maybe students or were young families and they often had questions and they were often very practical questions. Everybody kind of bought into the philosophy, but, but, you know, what do you do when your kids do this is the kind of question we had. And so we found ourselves answering that again and again, 
And that essentially led to saying, well, let's write this down in a book. Um, but we were blessed to have a lot of college students in our home during those years when we had small children, children in high chairs, children taking naps. And it was when they started becoming parents themselves that we were getting a lot of questions in the form of emails, texts, phone calls. And my very practical husband said, you know, it would just be more efficient if we just sort of organize this and write it down. And that way you can also be a little more bold in saying what you're saying because you're not addressing it to a specific situation. So you can sort of step back and be very clear. You had Cedarville students coming. That's my memory of being yes. there at Kemp Road. Students would come in the morning, drive maybe 45 minutes from their campus, but then they'd wanna also write, spend the afternoon with families there in the church. Yes, they yep. still do. It's lovely. Yep. And and great teaching opportunities. I know, John, you teach Sunday school class often and even preach, but I suppose some of your most influential ministry has been in the home where these young people are observing the way that you parent. Well, I know that because that's exactly what we did when we were meeting. We were <laughs> watching very carefully what people were doing, and uh, it really helped us. When we met each other. We <laughs> yeah, were... when, we, when we first met each other, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let, let's dive into the material here. Now, I know the focus of the, the book, you're right, is really on the first decade of parenting, mm -hmm. laying that foundation. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we feel like that's certainly a very important time, parenting, right? There's, you are laying, as you said, a foundation, a lot of the, the basic patterns and understanding uh, is very important. And, and certainly as kids get older, past you know the second decade of parenting, then a lot of things change from maybe the way we were talking about in the book. It becomes more of a coaching, mentoring relationship. Not that that never happens with younger children as well, but uh, we thought it was good to kind of focus on that early year or early set of years. As they get older, they start to exercise appropriate dominion over more responsibilities. And I think a lot of, as we perhaps did, you can easily start off just uh, in the fog of parenting young children without thinking how some of the things that you are allowing or not teaching look like down the road. Um, so really our, our goal with that word purposeful is just to, to really think through um, how to go about this in, a, in, in an intentional way. Um, we've had many people comment that we don't even mention the rod or correction until many, many chapters into the book, because I think where, where a lot of us get off track in parenting is not being proactive in teaching in the way they should go rather than just reactive or corrective. Great. That, that's excellent points. And even I know early on in the book, you talk about grace-filled parenting, and you discuss the theme of, of parents maybe naturally wired to be on a certain spectrum. You may have on the one side the the strict and authoritarian parent, and then that's the default setting for that personality. And then maybe you may have on the other end, the, the forgiving and undemanding parent. You talk about a balance between what you call grace-filled parenting. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think the fundamental understanding there is to realize that our children and we are not that different. We are both sinners. We both struggle with sin. And so when we're parenting, we're not kind of coming at them with an attitude of 
I am perfect. I have this all worked out and you need to become like me <laughs> much more that, yeah, you struggle with these things and I do. Sure. You may be struggling with not picking up your toys when I ask you to do that. Uh, I don't have toys to pick up, but guess what? I struggle with procrastinating and doing not doing the things I should be doing, right? So it's the same thing, but to have that mindset. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we say, okay, so it doesn't matter what you do. Um, that's not really how God treats us. Yes, we are forgiven. And that's the fundamental relationship we have. Yet at the same time, God does instruct us in how we should live. And there are actual ramifications when we disobey those kinds of things. So yes, there's very much a balance, but, but we feel like fundamentally, you're my child. I love you. I have this relationship with you. I'm a sinner like you. Yet at the same time, there's, there's standards and, and let me help you understand this. And it gives a picture of the gospel as well. Mm. You do that mm. right. And Cindy, from a mom's perspective, being with them 24-7, can you relate to that issue? Oh, absolutely. Um, I, but I do want to say that I, I have loved parenting. Um, definitely once we got on a better foot or a more biblical perspective, I enjoyed it significantly more. The first two and a half years were rough. Um, and we have a chapter about that because I, I misinterpreted some passages in scripture thinking that my parenting was all about me learning selflessness and really letting my toddler have whatever choices they desired because I felt like I was, you know, if they asked for a fish, don't give them a stone. Like I, I totally misinterpreted a whole bunch of passages and didn't think about the ramifications of them. And I think my toddler and I were both miserable. Um, they didn't enjoy being center of the universe as much as they thought they, they would. So um, once I had more confidence in what God was saying in his word about parenting, I enjoyed it so much more. Um, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. just a joy to see how God has created all of your children with diverse gifts than you have and how he has made them to go and serve and bless in ways that you could never do yourself. Um, yeah, I've, it's been just a huge blessing to parent. Mm -hmm. I think of the idea of grace filled parenting and really that would address both law and gospel in parenting, how, how uh, the fifth commandment says honor father and mother and that's going to expose sin in the child but the exposing of sin leads to the gospel even for myself i our firstborn child he would disobey and yes there was the use of the rod and even bringing him into the bedroom and he realized that there was going to be a degree of punishment and he shouted out in exasperation because he realized that he kept sitting he says why do I keep sinning in exasperation? Yeah. And to be able to say, well, it's because you have a bad heart. And mm -hmm. there's a Savior who can forgive you of your sins and give you a new heart. So that this idea of disciplining and, and law and gospel, really, it's kind of like plan A for evangelizing, isn't it? Mm, definitely. I mean, Paul speaks about the laws being a tutor to bring us to Christ. And I mean, that's, that's, I think one of the purposes of course is for our children, exactly like you're saying. And I think for a weary mom of weary of disciplining that you're, it's a role God has given you and your child's, um, disobedience feels personal. It's not, it's their sin nature and you just need to be faithful, right? Like it, it, you can kind of get emotionally wrapped up in it, but it's probably best to, Keep the big picture. 
Yes. Now, when it comes to, well, you say eight children, and here we are in 2023, and I, I was just, just tra I just got home from traveling last night, and the idea of seeing children in society, I myself am 64 years old, and when I was young, people would have children, oh, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve children even, but now the idea of having children has really become kind of a nuisance and an irritant that is an impediment to my lifestyle of pleasure and leisure. To talk about that a little bit regarding eight children and, and the, the way that you've become such a counterculture in society today. Yeah, that's funny. It doesn't seem countercultural to us because we're used to it. Um, but, but one of the things that we've realized talking to parents is that when you have one, two, maybe three children, you are in the trenches of difficult physical labor. They're usually all under five at that point. Right. And you're doing everything physically for them. And then most parents are thinking, I can't keep making this worse and worse. You know, it's kind of a mindset, right? Yet the children do get older, right? They do start to be able to help. So adding our fifth child in with older children who are basically running the household is a very different experience. And, uh, and really, it, it becomes more of a management issue than a, a we're doing all the work issue. It's delightful to have a baby with teenagers in the house because you are literally in management. You sit there with the baby in direct traffic and you know, people say, how do you do that with eight children? And, and our answer is usually, well, I'm in management now. I, I, I have a lot of helpers and it's amazing. You know, when they were all little, it was hard to see this, but it doesn't take too long till you have, if you have a 10 year old an eight year old and a six year old or a 12 year old, a 10 year old and eight year old, you know, one could be making a meal for a neighbor, even someone else could be out cutting the grass and someone else could be out um, helping a neighbor by walking their dog. I mean, your ability to actually serve and contribute goes up. We would, what's the right mathematical term exponentially. exponentially. My, my father-in-law used to always say, Oh, you know, every year that goes by, your family increases by eight man years, you know, and now that my children are older, I can appreciate that when they were younger, it was hard to appreciate that, but our abilities grow. Um, and, and, and again, our children can serve in ways that we never could. That is such a joy to see them using their gifts in the church and in their community and, and with their neighbors in ways that we never could. Well, you know, it's like that proverb you discuss where no oxen are. The manger is clean. Yes. Much increase comes by the strength of the ox. So those oxen, they make a mess of that barn. It's not tidy and immaculate. But no. once you harness those oxen up, they can pull for the kingdom of God, for yes. culture, for society. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and those first 10 years are kind of like the messy part of parenting, right? A, a six-year-old doesn't do a lot for society yet, right? But... Um, but once you get through that and, and launch them out, that's the exciting part. Yeah. And I, I, I don't want to be negative about the early years. I mean, there's some special joys in those first five years of parenting as well. Just watching them discover and learn and figure out how things work and figure out speech and balance yeah. and all sorts of things. I'm not negative about those years. I'm just understanding. Then that's when most parents feel completely overwhelmed and that 
I, I can't keep doing this. And, you know, oh, they're encouraging hospitality at church, but how, I can hardly keep my people fed and dressed. You know, like I, I, I relate to that feeling, um, but it doesn't take too many years before actually having those children is a huge help to hospitality because they can be keeping things going while you're greeting the people coming into your home and helping take care of the other people's little children. And it, there's, there's great blessings there. Yeah, and I think of the great blessings of, of in the latter stages of life where, you know what, you can focus on your economic prosperity, but you know what, a Mercedes doesn't come back when you're in your 50s and your 60s to hug you and embrace you and interact with you. Whereas, oh, children and children's children, just look, are you grandchildren, parents, by the way, at this time? We have four and one on the way. So, so just to just to lay out to even young people who think of priorities of life, is there any regret that you have children and that you spent yourself in those early years of life? Absolutely not. None at no. all. None at all. I can remember thinking, I'll never hear a full sermon again, you know, when babies <laughs> were young. And and yet, you know, I look back over that. 30 years of parenting and I've heard more sermons than not, you know, like it just, it seems long at the time, but over the years, it seems short and grandchildren are precious. I think equally or more precious is seeing your children be um, godly spouses and love their, their spouse well and serving in the church. And yes, parenting their children. Like I love those little ones, but I, I love how God is using our children to parent their little ones and to be hospitable and do all those things with their gifts. That is, there's no greater joy. And, and really, when you think about all of life, what is worth that investing our time in? And, and really it's the eternal things, mm -hmm. right? There's no car, as you're saying, a Mercedes is eternal. No house, no vacation package, but people are eternal beings, right? And investing in, in people is a good time investment. Yes, and, and just to lay out, you, you are living the dream. We are in 2023 in a society where there is a loneliness epidemic. Mm -hmm. And people who are at our age now who have dysfunctional family backgrounds or people who never had children, there's that suffocation of isolation that mm. people are now experiencing. And the Lord has medicine for that. And yes, it is ultimately a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship they have with the spirit, but practically and tangibly what we can touch and hug and giggle with, it's family. The, the, the righteous man able to see his children's children. And th there are delights in walking in the way of God. The way of the ungodly is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the righteous is a highway. And you're enjoying, I think, that kind of a smooth season in life now. And I think we've got to recognize, too, there's, there's two families. There's our immediate family. And then there's, very important, our church family, right? So even people that you're talking about, uh, somebody that wasn't able to have children, can still invest in others and be very much a vital part of a, a, a real family. And so 
I, I feel really sad for people that I know that don't have anything like a church family. And you're right. It is a very isolated existence in some cases. Yes. Well, let's dive into some of these themes and it'll be more like a, a lightning round, maybe of my just touching on certain topics. What about this? You, you say that it's not a popularity contest when it comes to being a parent of your children. Talk about that a little bit. So we don't parent our young children to please them. We parent our young children out of faithfulness to what God has called us to do. Um, our young children are not going to understand the reasons why be behind the, the things that we do as parenting. They will in time, but we need to not be overly concerned about whether the three-year-old likes our decision. You know, mm -hmm. th that's just a really dangerous way to parent because that puts them in the center of, of, as though they're running the show and God has not given them that role. God has not given them the wisdom for that, that position. And really in all of life, we have to live under authority and they just need to learn that sometimes they have to do things that they don't want to do like, like we do. <laughs> yes. And the commandment doesn't say that they are to like, or even love father and mother. But the commandment says, honor father and mother, which is really a totally different animal and theme. Mm -hmm. So that issue of uh, not seeking popularity is important. What about, what about uh, I think of Colossians 3, fathers don't exasperate your children lest they lose heart. And we're going to talk about authority and the need for obedience. But the idea of it's not merely a matter of getting them to knuckle under to our authority, but unpack that a little bit, John, about not, not exasperating our children, because we as fathers obviously have an inclination to that. Sure, and there's lots of ways that we can exasperate our children. I think one of the primary things as parents is a level of consistency. If we are parenting based upon our emotions at the moment, in other words, if our child is in trouble, if we get angry enough, then that is a very uh, inconsistent way to parent. The child kind of never knows where they stand. They're always having to read the temperature as opposed to a more objective kind of standard that's out there. Uh, and that's, and if we can consistently hold to that, then that, that certainly helps a child. At least they understand what the ground rules are and kind of how this works, right? Um, and that, that's one example of how to not exasperate you know, a child. We, it's, it sounds kind of silly, but we really found that practicing what obedience looks like and practicing all of the sort of skills and things that we expect from them really helps make things very clear. This is what, what we expect. This is how, you know, what that's like. And this can sound like some weird torture if you hear us talk about it, but our kids found it really fun. And uh, we had training time every day and we would just practice obedience, practice following, you know, instruction. Um, we had a two-year-old asked to be a, a ring bearer in a wedding and we were like, but we just worked every day with him carrying my rings around the house on a pillow for months leading up to the wedding. And it was really no big deal. When it got to the time of the wedding, he just marched down that very long aisle all by himself, you know, and I just don't think he could have done that without a lot of practice. And I think that's a lot of what we expect of them, we can't expect them to know how to do that unless they are practiced, whether it's obeying, responding to 
to instruction, um, even just the, the skills of how to pick up their toys or make their bed or whatever. So, And I think being proactive is a big part of it too, right? We have the analogy in the book that when people learn to fly an airplane, it would be very exasperating if the only way you learn is you do stuff and then the instructor tells you when you did something wrong, right? Not only would that be very frustrating way to learn and probably be very dangerous, right? You have to do a lot of this, you know, teaching ahead of time and working through and practicing and, and being proactive is, is very helpful because that's a, a way that you can train a child and help them to understand in a, in a comfortable environment. They're not tired. You're working with them. Um, and that's another, I guess, form of not exasperating. But, but Cindy, John mentioned consistency. And what do you say to the mom who says, but I don't have enough time to be consistent because if I'm engaging in something, they have to lay everything down and I have to go and address this issue of, of disobedience that requires discipline. Respond to that issue of time efficiency and being consistent. Yes, I can remember my husband encouraging me so many times that it would be better to address it early and, and consistently than to ignore things and then have the children not know exactly where the standard is. Um, I can remember just sort of thinking I had the toddlers and, and young people settled and starting to feed a baby. And then, oh, now, now I have to address this. And that's like momentary inconvenience and, and discomfort, but big picture long-term, if the children know the standard is there and that you are serious about it, you'll actually have less um, times when you need to stop and correct than if you aren't consistent. Well, let's get to this issue of, again, you notice on the book cover, it says blessing others, blue tape boundaries, and other practical perspectives. Blue tape boundaries. What in the world are you talking about? Can you unpack that a little bit for us? So we had a visitor in our house in our very early years of parenting, and he gently suggested, you know, maybe you need to house train your child, not House uh, or proof. houseproof your child, not child childproof proof. your house. In other words, I like that. Say, say that one again. I'm, I'm gonna repeat it. Yeah, houseproofing the child versus childproofing the house. I really like that. Right, because I was going around installing latches and cabinets and everything, and and of course, medicine and things. You got to do things to keep them safe. But in that in that house or in, in a subsequent house, um, we decide. You know, I don't really want the crawling toddler getting in the kitchen. Right. And in that house, there happened to be a linoleum kitchen and a carpet. So it was a clear barrier. And it was and that, shocking to us how easy it was to teach them. That kitchen had some sort of blind corners. And I just was afraid I was going to be carrying a big pot of soup and just stumble over a crawling baby. So it seemed like a safety issue. And this was our third child. And we had started to realize that we've, you know, yeah. we can train for things. So we were like, could we just teach her very early that she can't come in the kitchen? It's just not for her. And it was really easy. She was like, oh, okay, this is how life is. No big deal. Wow, that was kind of amazing. And then we, um, but then we moved to another house and of course it didn't have the right line. So we started using tape. We use regular, regular masking tape, but realized that sticks to carpet. So that leads to the blue it's tape. Hard to get and, out. And, and, and it just, it was a blessing to be able to put blue tape up. The children understand the boundaries. You kind of teach them early on. That's what it is. And it just makes life a lot more relaxed. Even if you go to a new place, we go to grandpa and grandma's house and it's like stairs are off limits. 
and they, they know what that means. And it, it's or hotels. Yeah. yeah, it was a very helpful tool that we could take anywhere we went. And it sounds really constraining to us, you know, freedom loving Americans, like how, <laughs> how, how, how could you just draw these lines and say you, you have to stay here, but it actually brings a huge measure of sanity. Um, and children are okay with that. Okay, this is my space, I we would have guests come over and pick up a child and then put them down outside their space. And they would just stand there like, okay, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do when I'm out here. <laughs> but um, they're much more okay with it than you might yeah. think um, living within those boundaries. And really all of us have to live within boundaries. That's how God has created our world. So it's not a bad thing to learn that early on. Well, it's interesting how I know there are places for fences. I suppose there could be even places for leashes <laughs> that would limit the movements of our children but you know what you can control a laboratory rat by fences and by leashes but our children are not lab rats they are made in the image of god and being made in the image of god you look at the early chapters of genesis and how well uh we are able to eat from every tree of the garden but the forbidden fruit that is not to be and and there's great liberty then in the rest of life but there are points where our being in the image of god we are to submit to the boundaries that have been drawn for us and that is a glorious way of living and and children being made in the image oh yes i i, I see that this is a limitation mm -hmm. and i can by my own decision making by my own responsibility and even by my own receiving consequences i i can and i thrive living that way yeah i agree i think we have and I, other parents sometimes do significantly underestimate their child's ability to to do those things that you're talking about mm -hmm. yes because some would say well a child a child should need to learn to explore on themselves for by themselves and adventure out by themselves. And surely man and woman in the Garden of Eden had that great adventure of life, but the Lord knew, no, I'm I'm putting I'm putting blue tape down. In fact, I, I will say this. Sam Waldron, uh, who did write a commendation for your book on the back cover, I go back to oh, probably about 1981, 1982, when I just began attending the Reformed Baptist Church of Grand Rapids. And I'm sitting back in the lobby, and Sam had his little boy or girl, I don't know which it was, crawling around. I saw Sam, he banged his hands on the floor and drew an invisible line with his hand at the threshold so that the child wouldn't walk out toward the stairway. And I thought, Oh, he's he's drawing clear lines, and the child had great liberty in knowing where the lines were. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's a a beneficial uh, theme. So so let's move from there. Then, what do you do if a child disobeys? And there are certain forms of discipline, and and I know you address it in the book, and it's not the entirety of the book, and it's not until later on in the book, but. The proverb does say, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. And the idea of spanking, do, do you believe in spanking in 2023, John and Cindy? 
Well, the answer is, I believe what the scripture says, mm -hmm. right? And so um, I, I think we have to be careful because a lot of people can have a very different conception of what we're talking about. If you're talking about a parent in anger, hauling off and hitting their child out of anger, that, that's wrong. That's not at all what we're, we're talking about. And you're right, we, I think it's chapter 17 or something like that, where we finally get to that topic, because it's actually a relatively small part of parenting, we believe. Um, but, but we do think that that is an appropriate uh, consequence in some circumstances. There are, there are situations where Christian parents may, may be constrained from doing that. For example, if you have a foster child, and, and you can still be a godly parent. Uh, but, but we don't think it makes sense to completely take that off the table. Um, when it's done in a, in a loving way and, and consistently. Um, there are other forms of consequence too that can be helpful. Some things may be more helpful than others. So that's not necessarily the only thing that you would ever do, but, but we do think that it is a valuable tool and when used properly is, is completely appropriate and very helpful. Yes, Matt, let me even just read here on page 123. You're so careful, you're right. Uh, just to be clear, we do not condone first using the rod in anger or frustration that would be striking a child because you're angry or frustrated or letting anger or frustration affect how you treat a child. And you also say uh, doing anything that causes physical damage to a child. You also say anyone who is not a child's parent administering corporal punishment or interacting with a child in any way, shape, or form that is sexual in nature. So you're very careful to avoid abuse in any way. But uh, the, the ways of the Lord are, are pleasant and delightful, and in all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God or the child of God is made Ooh. adequate for every good work. And we do believe that is his word is a light for our path and a lamp for our feet. And I really commend you and anybody who would who would get this book and read this book. The, the requests are really focused on saying, it's not my opinion. It's it's what the word of God says that is really the, the authority and the main compass for how we parent our children. But what about whining? <laughs> what do we do when a child is whining in the household? And your, your book is so practical in the way that it addresses that theme. Well, you know, maybe we were the only people to ever have that problem. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking that may not be the case. And, and there's many, uh, many approaches. Uh, much of it is not letting whining have an effect. Uh, but there, there was a time, and I rather enjoyed this, when we had a policy. There's a certain age where you can do this, a policy that if you're whining about something, you can't get it. And so I'd be in another room, I'd hear whining and I'd run the room. I'd say, oh, what is it that you can't have now? Because I heard you whining. Guess what? That has a pretty quick ability to kind of nip that off to some extent, right? And so really it comes down to not letting whining have the impact that the child wants. That's very difficult because we reflexively sometimes respond to whining without even thinking about it. Child's whining and you just kind of do what they're saying. You're talking to somebody, right? So it's, it's almost a teaching the parent how to not respond to whining is just as important. And once you can see that, then usually it stops working and the child kind of moves on. Yeah, just ex explaining that whining will not be effective 
and then helping each other stay accountable yeah, on that yeah. is probably the best part. Um, we've we've definitely noticed if a toddler is suddenly having a big emotional fit, if you're like, oh, get the camera and one want to make sure grandma can see this, it, it tends to stop the fit because it's not having the effect that they wanted it to have. We're not being cruel. We're just like, you know, you can sort of having, you can have a lighthearted attitude in your family about things that don't have to be deathly serious. You know what I mean? So you can, you can have a, a sweet spirit about not accepting whining and, and it works. Yeah. So you're not being narrow-minded. The Philippians too speaks of do all things without complaining or grumbling. And you're just calling on them to obey and to bring pleasure to the Lord because, you know, a whining two-year-old becomes a whining 22-year-old, doesn't it? <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. It's not any prettier. <laughs> yes. What, what, what about the idea of, of protecting our children? I, I think of that, oh, in this age, boy, here it's post-COVID and parents have seen their children in the classroom by eavesdropping in on the computer? And should we send our kids out into dangerous circumstances? Maybe maybe it's being in a public school where paganism is taught. I mean, respond to this, okay? Uh, sure, would it be salt and light, but are we to use our children as missionaries? Uh, unpack that idea. Yeah, that's a good question. I think this this actually does take a lot of wisdom on a parent's part, and each parent is kind of in a unique situation. So it's very hard to give absolute that this is safe, this is not. And our culture and the things that are dangerous are continually changing too. The things that my grandchildren are going to have to worry about probably were not at all an issue when we were growing up, right? And so um, I think the mindset that it's wise for parents to have is an understanding. Yes, of course, ultimately your child will be sent out. So the question is, when do you expose them to things? When do you talk through things? Um, and certainly it can't be the day that you send them off somewhere and they leave your house. It needs to be before then. Um, so coaching them, watching a movie and shredding it and teaching them, how do you look at the world? How do you evaluate what's going on? That's, that's really critical, but that has to be done when they can actually do that and they have the capability. A six-year-old has very little capability of being able to step back and kind of evaluate a situation and think from a big picture point of view. They're very kind of go with the flow, but, but a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old very much can. So, so there's the wisdom of, of when do you expose people to things? And, and you do have to, at some level, you're right, they're going to be sent to the world. We have, that's our goal is to send them out, but, but maybe not when they're five. <laughs> yeah. John likes to say when, not if, right. It, they mm. need to be prepared and they will encounter these things and they need to encounter them in our home. And when we can help prepare them. So our job in those next 10 years is to be helping them engage with the world and think biblically about things so that they can interact. So they need to hear a lot of those things from us first and in that context where we can talk about it, but probably not in the first 10 years. Yeah. And I love it, John, that you said, watch and shred a movie. Back in the day, it was, we'd watch a movie and I'd say, stop the tape, stop the tape. And, and the, the children knew dad was going to analyze something. But now it would be pause, 
But I'm sure, John, for you to be able to give that review to, you know, the dinosaur movie, which is done by Disney, and it says, follow your heart. It sounds so wonderful. You say, stop the tape, stop the tape. And you give a little analysis as you're walking alongside of them in this philosophical adventure they're on. Exactly. And I think even for things like books and movies, sometimes parents might have a mindset, we need to protect against bad words and, you know, sex and these kinds of things. Whereas a lot of the really dangerous things are more like what you were talking about. What are the ideas that are being spread here? Some ideas are okay. I mean, some movies really do have some good ideas. Sometimes it's mixed with bad worldview and, and to be able to, again, help the children understand that is helpful. Yeah, specifically in, in young children's literature, there are some real gems to be found in the library these days. And there's some really <laughs> horrible books as well. And there's just things to be watching for, like how are the parents or other authorities portrayed? Are they buffoons that have no idea what's going on? Or are they actually people with, with seasoned wisdom that are helping the children? Um, are the children the all wise ones that are, that are saving, the day. saving the day every single time? Or, you know, like there's just a lot of tricky themes in a lot of children's literature. So be, be discerning, definitely. Yes, and for parents to always be the, the, to use movie terminology, the Jiminy Cricket in the ears of our children. Think of Proverbs, how it's the father and the mother saying, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son, my son, always there critiquing what's happening in the field of life that we're viewing. Our, our time is basically gone, but let me just say, the last thing you make an emphasis on, uh, be bold as parents. The wicked man flees. Though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Just, I'll give you the last word on that. What, what words would you give to parents on that theme? It's very easy living today, especially with things like social media and other things where everybody's kind of watching to be very oriented towards what do I do that kind of looks good to everybody else. We are often called by scripture, by our Lord, to do things that are countercultural, to do things that don't go along with the flow. And that is not easy. That is very difficult. And, and I think that's actually where the most boldness is needed is to, to say, no, I am going to listen to, to my Lord, not to the voices of society and parent as God has intended and seek to do that. And, and I don't care what other people are going to say. These are my responsibility. Um, and I want to do that well. Mm. I used, at, when my children were young, especially when we lived in Canada, um, I remember being pregnant with my fourth, fourth child and getting a lot of negative comments when I was out with my children, even though they were calmly sitting in the cart and standing next to the cart, you know, people would say, did you plan this? And don't you know, there's a population problem. And it was, I would come home and be discouraged and say, I am ashamed when I meet with my enemies at the gate, what's wrong with me, you know, but it's amazing. The tables are turned. Once they get to a certain age, nobody has made comments like that anymore. And I am not ashamed when I'm walking down the street, heading into church with my tall teenage sons all around me, you know, like it, it's a, it's a long-term view. Does that make sense? I have an army with me and I feel very safe and I'm not ashamed, but it was a struggle when they were little and when society was really bold enough to ask comments like that. 
So just an encouragement that I think living the way the Lord would have us view children is not popular in the culture. Um, the culture sees children as an add-on, like a pet, a, a status symbol, maybe, but not, not an eternal soul to be diligently trained for eternal service to the Lord. John and Cindy, I could talk with you a long time because I find the uh, communication you're bringing really refreshing, but you can get more from John and Cindy in this book, Purposeful and Persistent Parenting. And I trust that the, these words are apples of gold in settings of silver and read and take up and benefit from it. Every blessing to you. Thank you so much for your time with us this, this morning. Godspeed to you. Thank you. Thank you so much.